Welcome back to the Field Cross Survival Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin. Uh, it's been a while since I did a podcast, so this is a little weird. <laughs> um, with me today is James Phillips. So James, and we call him Phil, is uh, our new lead for mobility, which is a daunting task because mobility covers a lot of different stuff. So um, Phil was uh, a Marine. Then he was a Marine Special Operations guy. And now he works for Philcraft. And <laughs> probably the hardest job you ever had, right? Yes, sir. So, um, hey, welcome to the podcast and thanks for doing this. Thanks Not that you me. had a choice because you're an employee and you have to do it. <laughs> no, I think we're a little overdue because people are like, who, who is this dude? But yeah, we, done a podcast we were supposed yet, to do it before and something happened and it kind of fell off. And, yeah. you know, you were like, oh, we need to do a podcast. I'm like, we already did that. Well, I had to go through a trial period first. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Make sure you're going to work out. So basically that the, the goal here is to introduce you to, to the listeners and uh, kind of talk about your background and then we'll talk about where we want to go with mobility in the future and we're going to dip our toes in a lot of different things see what see what people like and what they don't like and um but it is a very big subject with a lot of moving pieces like motorcycles and off-road driving, defensive driving and horses and snowmobiles and planes and any cars planes, trains and, and automobiles, yeah, right? So um yeah, let's let's uh, let's start and go back to the start. And I know you you uh, you were you're, you grew up in England early on and, and all that. So uh, I I'd kind of be interested in what you thought about that because <laughs> yeah. you were there for a while, right? Yeah, you're the first Irish person I've met that's actually from Ireland and then yeah. uh, that doesn't want to fight me. So that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, people Americans have said to me, "Oh, uh, England and Ireland, that's kind of the same country, right?" And I always say, "Yeah, go to Ireland and say that and see what happens." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> That's like saying America and maybe Canada. Yeah, but yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So let, let's say uh, let's go back to the start. Like where, where you grew, where you were born, grew up. You know, family, early early life. You know, inspirations to go into the Marine Corps. I was told one time by a, a SF guy who was a, a recruiter in the regular army before he went to SF. He said. These kids come in and want to join the Marine Corps. They do it for two reasons. They do it because uh, somebody in their family was in the Marine Corps and or they like the uniform. Those are the two reasons and you cannot talk them out of it. <laughs> so I'd be interested to see what your... your yeah, I don't your, think one of those was mine. Wasn't? We yeah. We all digest that. Yeah. Um, all right, man, you're on. Yeah, so I was born in the UK. Um, most people don't really know where stuff is at in Ireland like they would in... England either, but uh, next to Stonehenge, like all the rocks. Okay. Um, yeah. So grew up there until I was about 10, and then we moved to the United States, um, and I was a little kid. And we, Was year, your dad military? No, my parents were in internet security, so they ended up moving to the oh, U.S. okay. A lot of my mom's side of the family was already over here. She went over when she was little um, to the U.K. and lived with her grandma. So mm -hmm. How much do you remember? Um, a fair amount. I mean, um, we lived in the countryside. We weren't really like in London or anything like that. So we kind of grew up on a little farm. Mm. Um, but struggled at school when I was little over there because I don't know how it was in Ireland for you, but I was doing Latin and French, you know, and I wasn't even nine years old yet. Yeah. So. I, 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 you know, I, I remember telling, uh, like my daughter, when I went to school in Ireland, we did nine subjects every day. Like we had nine, like 40 minute classes and uh, freaking tough. And it wasn't like you did a semester like here and then you get tested. I got tested on like five years of, yeah. of this secondary. It was, it was very, very challenging. Yeah. yeah. So they thought I had like, they thought I had a learning disability because 
myself mm. wasn't doing well. You're like, I don't have a learning disability. I'm just American. Yeah, <laughs> I'm destined to be American. So, um, mm. but no, I do remember quite a bit. I mean, um, like obviously you grew up there. So like the accent and all, all the slang and all that was not normal for you. It wasn't yeah. like a kid going over after growing up here right. and, and trying to understand people, right? Yeah, we, we actually, um, where I was growing up, I learned to drive my dad's Land Rover Discovery on Salisbury Plains, which is the army base up there. Yeah. I remember uh, getting stuck in all the tank tracks and finding bits of plastic from their training exercise and everything else. I think that was my first exposure yeah. to the military. Where, where physically in the country are, are we talking about? How far north? Um, Wiltshire. So it's, um, I guess it's west of London. Okay, so it's kind of south? Yeah, south. So the weather probably wasn't as bad as, as the more northern parts of England? No, it wasn't too bad. I mean, we tra- I remember traveling to Scotland with my with my mom uh, for vacation, going to all the Highland country and stuff. Yeah. It was pretty, it was typical England. What, you, what years are we talking about? Um, I was born in 88, and then we came over here around 2000, 2001. Okay, so. were you aware of the whole Northern Ireland thing going on? Or? A little bit. Yeah. Um, but I think I was too young to really have yeah. full grips on it. Yeah. And we were in the countryside, so I think I was a little bit set, you know, away from all the news and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, you might have heard about the bombing in London and yeah. stuff. There's a lot of that going on in the early 90s and stuff before the, the peace treaty kicked in. I, ju- I was just wondering, because most people become numb to it, right? That, yeah. That it just becomes normal noise. I mean, it's like right now, right? The yeah. war's still going on. Exactly. People don't talk about it anymore. They don't even know we're there. Yeah, yeah. we're still it's in crazy. Iraq. And, and well, in Iraq, we have people in Iraq, we have people in Syria, we have people in Afghanistan and, and like, you know, a hundred other countries. Yeah, when I started dating Maddie, uh, my better half, her friends were like, Oh, we still at war? Is that still a thing? Yeah. She's like, yeah. oh yeah, he's over there right now. Yeah, longest war in American history. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. Sorry, go ahead. So, um, yeah, growing up in England. Yeah, so, um, so obviously I was struggling with school a little bit. Did you go um, to public school? I did. Mm. No, no, sorry, I went to private school. Went mm. to public school as soon as I came to the States. So that was a transition too, from having school uniform, all that kind of stuff. Um, but at the private school, we did a lot of sports I wasn't really athletically gifted when I was little. Yeah. I think it kind of carried over to when I was in the States. So when we moved over, we came to Virginia and that's where I started public school. Did you find it easy having been in in a challenging and education environment in England? So I thought the American education system was far better just because they they worked with me straight away to catch me back up to where everybody else was Mm -hmm. um, when I was little. Um, So they already had the infrastructure in place, whereas... In the UK, I feel like I was a lost cause. Yeah. I was just probably just going to drop out of school and do something blue collar. But um. mm. Yeah, that was my experience too because we had no money. Yeah. And I went to a good school when I was a kid, but um, a, a lot of wealthy people sent their kids to the school. And I got free books and stuff like that and free uniforms because yeah. we had no money. But they kind of pushed, pushed poor kids to the side. And... Uh, the, the, the more wealthy kids got the attention. Yeah. Know? No, I think, yeah. I think I experienced the same. Um, mm-hmm. My dad was in construction and he just happened to do construction for the school. And then I think it was something like that. So, yeah. Um, would you like w- w- when, uh, when you've kids and a roller, would you rather they had a school uniform or no? Um, I don't think it really matters. Yeah. Honestly. I mean, gosh, we can talk about education now. <laughs> forever compared yeah. to what it was when, when we were in yeah, school. Yeah, it's completely but, different, yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I'm not sure. I think, I think I'm lucky. When I came to the U.S., I was old enough to kind of come to grips with what America stood for and what it was. And I was excited to come to the U.S. from the U.K. Um, 
fully believed in the American dream that if I actually worked hard, it would be, you know, in my benefit and I could do and, um, see and travel and do whatever I wanted to do if I, if I worked for it. So coming over at that young age, it was like a fresh slate for me. You have a Brit accent when you come over? Yeah, and I got my ass whooped for it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I said, all the little girls liked it when I was, yeah. I guess I came over, I was in like sixth grade. But you probably were in some fights in England, right? Because the kids in England, man, there's a, at least when I grew up, we yeah. fought a lot. I think, yeah, I think Ireland fights a little bit more than England. Probably a little but, bit, um, Ireland, Scotland, a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. No, I remember, I mean, I was little and we played, you know, soccer all the time yeah. and stuff. And I remember slide tackling kids. That was how we fought. But yeah. <laughs> 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 and then tried choking each other other out yeah. but um no sixth grade i uh i lost the accent real fast because you know getting te- kids are brutal man yeah um, they are. so yeah. uh that was my first lesson of adaptation i guess um but yeah so coming to america you know all the bigger cars all the different way of life learning steering wheel on the other side yeah i, I remember um remember my my mom remarried, so we came over with my stepdad, but I remember my stepdad driving on the wrong side of the road mm-hmm. in oncoming traffic because he forgot oh, which yeah. side of the road we were wow. driving on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I was lucky enough to go through middle school and everything. I was a pretty good kid and didn't really get in much trouble. Uh, I was outside a lot. Um, but then high school, my mom dropped me off at track practice freshman year, and that's really what kind of squared me away leading into the military. So mm. just having a discipline that I was focused on and I didn't really get distracted by, you know, other things. And that was what I lived and breathed. So um, mm. did you go straight into the Marine Corps after high school? Um, nope. I got a track scholarship to college, uh, which I did for two years, but going from high school athletics where we won states and everything else to a D1 track program wasn't really great for me. And I kind of had an injury senior year and that was the first time that I didn't run every single day of the year. So I literally, I would go to school, I'd hydrate all day, I'd go to practice, I'd do all my stretches, I'd do my run or my workout, I'd cool down, I'd be the last one to leave, um, go home, ice bath, like a high school kid taking ice baths, mm-hmm. and that dedicated. And then um, I got a stress fracture senior year of high school, but luckily I'd already gotten a scholarship. Um, so that was the first time I was like, oh, this is what it's like to be a normal kid, not be an athlete 24 mm-hmm. hours a day. Um, so, had a track scholarship, went to college, and that was trying to get back into it after that much dedication was hard for me mentally. And then also being nobody in the in the community of running in college because there's so many good athletes at that level um, was a hard thing for me too. Um, and the coach was, a, I went for the money so I could get free school because we still weren't like super well off or mm-hmm. anything. So I kind of wanted to pay my way. Um, and not rely on my parents so much to help them out. So I ended up picking a school for the scholarship, not necessarily the coach. Maybe I would have been more successful if I went D3 or something. But so that kind of, that set the conditions for me to want to go to the military. And I, I'd read a lot of books growing up, all the um, SBS books that my stepdad had because he was in the Royal Air Force. Um, SBS is the special boat squadron of the British Army. Yeah. Like the SAS is the, is the counter-terrorist 
unit that everybody knows, but the SBS is like the, the kind of Navy SEAL version, right? It's right. the kind of, yeah, that boat squadron, yeah. Yeah. So I remember- Why reading, the SBS and not the SAS? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I guess- um, When you said it to me the other day at SBS, I was like, you don't hear that much from, yeah. from Americans, right? I think, yeah. I think probably because I was reading all, was it Mark Owen's books? No, not Mark Owen. I don't know. So somebody writes a ton of books, and he was an he was an SBS operative, and they mm. were talking about doing water training and the locks in Scotland and the pressure in the submarines and all kinds of crazy mm -hmm. stuff. I thought that was pretty cool, um, and it was what my stepdad gave me to read anyway. So wasn't in a great place in college. My running had kind of gone to crap, and I needed another another direction. So the military is what I kind of picked. And I thought, with my athletic background, I thought you know maybe I'll be decent at it. So. Mm -hmm. Went originally into an um, Air Force recruiter's office off the bat. And the guy was, it was lunchtime and he was eating a cheeseburger um, while on the phone. And he kind of gave me like a, like a wait, give me yeah. a minute kind of thing. Yeah. And I was like, dude, I'm about to like sign some papers where you own my ass. Yeah. Like if you don't want to give me the time right now, I'm going to go go somewhere else. So went next door and next door was a Marine Corps recruiter. And of course they wanted to have me. So, mm. um, I did like a P a PFT, a physical fitness test. And what year was this? Um, I guess end of 07 ish. Okay. So 08. we were heavily involved in two wars yeah. at that point. We were actually, that was the most violent year in, in Iraq. I think, I mean, I don't know statistically if it was, but I was in Iraq in 04 and 05, no, in 05 and 06 and 07 and 07 was crazy. We were losing the war in Iraq. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm surprised the Air Force didn't snap you up, but I'm, I'm not surprised the Marine Corps did because I think recruiting was, was hurting at that point, right? Yeah. So they yeah. ended up, um, my mom had two conditions that I wouldn't be, you know, first in line and I wouldn't be an infantry, infantryman. So, mm -hmm. um, but when I went in there, I didn't, I failed to educate myself on what was what, you know, MOS wise, military occupation specialty uh, yeah. for like the jobs. So I wanted to be a canine handler, but I wasn't a citizen and you needed a clearance. Oh, you weren't? And I wanted to go reconnaissance, but it's the same, yep. the same issue. So uh, you joined with a green card? Um, I did. Same with me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you have, at least for me, I don't know if it's different now, you have eight years to become a citizen or you have to get out. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I don't think I got conveyed that at the time. But yeah. The IEDs were so bad in the war that it needed um, transport MOSs because mm -hmm. the logistical trains were getting hit so bad. Yeah, it's so funny that your mom, again, she doesn't know, right? But when you're in the infantry, your job is to fight, right? You're, you're in, the, yeah. you're in the, the job of consuming human life, right? But right. I, so is all the pipetters around you. When you're in a transportation unit... Um, you don't have those pipe hitters generally, but in in a in a, a war in a war with no front lines like Iraq and Afghanistan, yeah. dude, you're you're just as vulnerable as anybody else, and especially in Iraq, where you know um, convoys were getting ambushed all the time, hitting IEDs all the time. I think I'd rather be in the infantry. <laughs> yeah, and no, well, I didn't I didn't know any different at all myself. So. Um, I ran a PFT and I still could run pretty fast. I ended up running the three mile under 17 minutes, which 
for me was not great. Yeah. I had been running sub 15 for yeah. three miles. I ran, I think I ran like 1640 and the recruiter was like, you're the fastest kid alive. And it was like, <laughs> yeah. We'll give you a scholarship or we'll give you a, uh, a bonus. Yeah. And it was like 10 grand and it's the most money I've ever had. Right. Um, it seems like a lot of money, but it's really not. Yeah. He, he, told me, he told me I was going to be a turret gunner. So I thought, well, that's the next best thing to an infantryman. Mm. But ended up going to school and um, showed up, checked in. And then they taught me how to drive Humvees. And I was like, what, what was that MOS? Is that the, the army equivalent of an 88 Mike? Um, I'm not sure. 35, 31. So it's, okay. it's like 88 a Mike is a transportation guy, right? Mm -hmm. who, who they drive the big trucks and they drive a lot of. Yeah, of, I think it's actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 You have it's, like a me mechanical variant mm -hmm. or the driver variant. Right. And I was a driver variant. Mm -hmm. So showed up to Fort Leonardwood, Missouri and learned how to drive Humvees and seven tons and LVSRs. And I was like, this was not what I signed up for. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then um, then when they gave me my piece of paper to say what unit I was going to, it was 311 in 29 Palms. And I thought it was gonna be an infantry company because I thought it was like 0311, but it ended up being artillery, mm. um, which was fine because we actually got to go to the desert a lot to train and we weren't, I was in a truck company where all we did was trucks. So did actually, you have to tow the, the like the one hundred fives and stuff yep, like that? So yeah. So the seven ton. I drove a seven ton, which pulled the M triple seven, and uh, dug holes. And I got to pull a lanyard on it. And I was part of the team that worked that gun. So mm. I got lucky in the fact that I wasn't just driving trucks. But um, obviously, it would have been a little different if I had gone O three eleven infantryman. But mm. um, so I did that for four years, um, went on two deployments to the Pacific on MUs. Um, What's a MU? Marine Expeditionary Unit. So it's like basically a whole package on a, on a bunch of ships that can respond anywhere in the world. Yeah, you're QRF basically, yeah. and, but you're living on a ship, right. which I assume sucks. It did suck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> was it like a carrier? Yep, so we had a carrier in the fleet and then yeah. uh, two warships and then um, whatever else. But did they, did they put the Marines on like the shitty accommodation? And oh yeah. Was it like the, the bunks that are like three feet from yeah. your face? It was oh brutal. God, man. And then, uh, you wouldn't want to be claustrophobic. The Navy hated us, so everything they did wrong, they blamed on the Marines, so yeah. we'd always get shit canned. But, yeah. Um, How was the chow and nothing? I remember the chow being good, but you had to wait in these lines that took you like an hour and a half to get to the chow. Yeah. Because they they went up and down all the stairs all the way into the lowest level of the ship. And mm -hmm. you would take one step forward and one step forward God. all the way up until you could eat food. Yeah. By the time you got done, you go work out, go back to the birthing where you like live and then it would be time to go wait in line again to go eat again. Were you like, fuck, I should have stayed in college? Yeah. <laughs> A little bit. And then you're getting hazed too, right? Like, Really? Yeah, just freaking having to do stupid stuff in the well deck or checking trucks. Like, I'm on a boat, why don't I need to check these trucks? And then yeah. picking stuff up and moving it around. And, yeah, um, yeah. So the, the deployment is on the ship, right? You just don't, you don't like get off So we ship. did get off. Yeah. We went to the Philippines and Thailand. And That's Singapore cool. And worked with... Um, their, their military is there and did joint combined training exercise and stuff. And then I replicated that deployment um, at a higher rank a couple of years later. Um, and then we actually got to kind of go do some OPs with the Filipinos and stuff like that. And that was mm -hmm. a little bit like they gave me live ammo and I was like, well, it was the first time I've actually, you know, while everything was going on in Iraq and Afghanistan, I wanted to be a part of that, but I was in the Pacific. But um, it was hard because the terrain at the time in Afghanistan didn't warrant artillery use because it was hard to maneuver in the mountains. So yeah. 
Um, Base defense. They uh, were like, I was in Afghanistan, you know, four and we had a battery of 105s on our fire base, right? Yeah. We did move them forward at one point when, when some of our guys got ambushed and, and uh, to, to, uh, engage up into the mountains to cut off the retreat back across the Pakistani border, you know? Yeah. But I, you're very channelized, you're very vulnerable in there for for, uh, for ambush. And, and yeah, I can see how that, that restrictive terrain would not be great for it other than base defense. Yeah. yeah. So did everything I could to try to, try to get over there. I tried to go attached to um, an infantry unit, um, but they the battalion wouldn't let me go just because mm. I was the only, one of the only kids that could run a 300 PFT. So I was, I was on all the promotion boards for the yep. battalion. And yeah. So you didn't have any options. You didn't have a lot of options, right? Can you reclass in uh, in the Marine Corps? Is it hard to reclass? Like to go say, to another job. To say, I want to be an infantry man now. You can, but yeah. um, because I went to MCT instead of SOI, it's a different pipeline right out of boot camp. So What's um, MCT? Marine combat training. Okay. So it's like where you go learn to dig in a defense, how yeah. to shoot machine guns, all that stuff after boot camp. Okay. Um, Does the, and, and, you know, it's funny. I spent 24 years in the military, but there's there's parts of the military and the Air Force and oh, the, that yeah. I don't understand, right? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Okay, and, and you probably that. don't understand the <laughs> Army, right? So I, I, don't, I still don't understand the Army, right? Yeah. But um, I thought that the big Marine thing was everybody's a combat soldier. Yeah, so right? everybody's supposed to be a rifleman. Yeah. Um, but I think SOI, you learn more patrolling, more ambush, all that kind of stuff. Oh. Um, instead of MCT, which is like your um, enabler MOSs, basically. Oh, I so got you. Get, you, get a, you get a crash course on it instead of okay. become proficient. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, I did those two deployments, and I was about to get out. Um, at the time, I was doing a job for somebody three ranks higher than me. Um, and I was, I was pretty, pretty over the MOS. Just, I wasn't growing anymore. Yeah. You know, what I rank felt stagnant. Um, I was a corporal. Okay. So mm -hmm. it's about to pick up sergeant. Before, right? Yep. Yep. So, uh, my CEO actually pulled me into his office and conventional Marine Corps is very parade rest. It's yep. all rank. It's very, you got field day on Thursdays. You got to clean your room, get inspected or libos secured. It's very, mm -hmm. very strict. Um, at the time, I feel like it's gotten softer, but I think everybody says I that. think everywhere has, yeah. because when you're at war, man, like the, the Ranger Regiment went from high and tights and all that, right? To, yeah. to like, a, a, you know, a soft no haircut to a yeah. soft unit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it really has evolved. But now we're in, in a peacetime army almost, even yeah. though we're still at war. It's kind of reverting Uniform back for inspections and marching. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. Um, how many years did you have in at this point? Um, I was coming up on four. Did you have like leadership and mentorship that, that kind of sat you down and said, look, this is where we think you should go? I, I think we fail at that sometimes in the military. Yeah, so we all... <laughs> I think Marine Corps is good about that as far as development because they lean heavily on the non-commissioned officer enlisted side. So I had a lot of Marines under me that I was responsible for counseling and developing and mm -hmm. everything else. But my senior leadership wanted to, to keep me in that realm. So it was all about you should become a truck master as a mass mm -hmm. sergeant and all these things. And it wasn't really what I wanted to do. I wanted to go... I wanted to go serve. That's why I joined, right? I wanted, yeah. to, I wanted to go to the Middle East. Um, you wanted to be all you can be. That's the only right. one. What's the Marine one? <laughs> I want to the slay the dragon. Proud. Yeah, the yeah. Proud. Yeah. Um, but so my CO, my battalion CO pulled me into his office. Um, and that was the first 
you know, human to human, man to man conversation I had since I enlisted. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a captain, I was a corporal, and he said, for this meeting, I am David and you are James, like let's have a conversation. And that's the first time out of all of that, all my gunnery sergeants, everything. See, that should have been an NCO doing that for you. Right. Yeah. Um, all my gunnery sergeants, everything, it was always parade rest. It was mm-hmm. always yes, no. It was being told what to do. It wasn't ever asked what I thought. You know, it was it was instant obedience to orders, which makes sense, right? Um, well, it makes still, sense when you're storming beaches, right? Right. I'm, I'm, I'm still, telling you now, you're not getting SF guys to storm a beach. No. They'd be like, I'm not doing that. Right. Like, yeah, <laughs> That's stupid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, but I get it, right? You got these young guys and, and if there's a sniper on a roof and you need them to freeze, they, they gotta, they have yeah. to listen to you, yeah. right? Um, if you gotta lead guys down range, but in a, in a conventional setting. Um, so he was like, just entertain me, right? Before you get out, put in a package, either for officer transition or go try out for MARSOG. And the officer transition would be, I put in a package, I go to school for four years, I come back in the Marine Corps as an officer, and then that would be my trajectory. And you owe five years probably right. after yeah. your degree. Uh, MARSOC were fairly new at that yep, point. Yeah, it was formed in 2006, so it was still pretty baby. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, I'll just put in a package for MARSOC. I didn't even know what it was at the time. They're, they had zero recruiting effort, really. They hadn't, now, now it's pretty wild because they have posters all over airports. They have like a prep, and, yeah. a prep workout program. They initially took uh, Force Recon, right? And just right. made that MARSOC, they right? Did. And then got a lot of resistance from the big Marine Corps, right? Who yeah. don't like the whole special operations thing. Well, I, I don't know how much I'm going to get fried for saying this. It's all right. Stuff, but, um, Let's be honest. I'm out now. But um, no, the, I mean, it didn't get a, it was mandated that the Marine Corps had to make a special operations unit, right? Okay. Um, and the commandant fought it because he offered SOCOM, Marine Corps commandant offered SOCOM the MU. And the MU, the Marine Expeditionary mm-hmm. Unit we talked about earlier is is the Marine Corps' baby. Like nobody nobody really does that, right? Yeah, and, um, nobody wants it. <laughs> right, and he offered it to SOCOM and they were like, no, we don't want that. Yeah, And it was kind of a punch in the face, you know? So then it was bitter afterwards, I think. Um, getting a bunch of dudes and then we were cowboys and it was, you know, we're the black sheep um, in the early stages and whatnot. So, so yeah, it was, it was very new to zero recruiting effort. The dude that I called in California, my recruiter was always off playing rugby or something else. So I had zero guidance really. I took in my NSW, um, my Naval Special Warfare, uh, physical went into medical. They didn't even know how to fill it out at a conventional unit. Mm. You um, could have went to the SEALs, right? Because you're in the Department of the Navy. Um, I don't know how that works. I mm. think I think it's different because I think you have to join the Navy itself. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's a little weird. Yeah, get, and then they also had like a transition that you could go SF Army. Mm. Um, but for whatever reason, I just ended up putting that package into MARSOC. So. End up going to selection um, in 2012. And um, where's selection? North Carolina. So I flew from Twyon Palms, California, North Carolina, showed up with my packing list. They gave me a, a, a rack, like a bed, and then uh, like be outside this time tomorrow. So we're all in there, have no idea what's going on. Um, we show up the next morning with the prescribed gear, and it's like our first ruck. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't even know what a ruck is. You know what I mean? Mm. So they're they're like, ready, go. And everybody starts running. And I'm like, 
are we running? Like I didn't, yeah. I didn't understand it's what funny a run, run yeah, was. You know, you know, you go, you go to SF from the army, you're always going to get a little bit of Intel, right? right. You're, you're going to talk to somebody who's already been to selection yeah. or, and you're always going to get, you, you probably had nothing cause it was pretty new. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'd re I think I read the book chosen soldier, uh -huh. um, about the green beret pipeline. And I mean, Marsox pipeline is based off of that. We had, we had a lot of, um, SF guys come in and help build the infrastructure for selection. Okay. Uh, the infrastructure for the operator nine month pipeline. Okay. And then yeah. we had some real hard men that were our cadre for selection. Um, that, Ed Bugarin, he was used to be at CAG, uh, helped stand up a bunch of infrastructure for them, and and he's been running Marsoc Selection for forever. I think. Yeah, I remember this was going on. They, they took a lot of uh, retired SF guys and made yeah. contractors, right? And they got money obviously from Solcom to, right. to hire them to to. Yeah, there's no point in reinventing the wheel. Yeah, I, I mean, it's dudes not, are like freaks of nature, right? Like uh, doing 12 mile ruck runs in Crocs, like yeah. ultra runners. <laughs> like, so you go there, yeah. like, gosh, these guys are nuts, and they're like 60 years. Old, yeah, freaking yeah. crushing all of us. Yeah, the, um, the day they stop, they'll die. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But um, so yeah, I went through the pipeline. And at the time, I was like, well, you know, I got nothing to lose. I'm either going to make it through this, or I'm on the same path that I was planning on mm. before I put this package in. So I uh, went through. Did the you whole, have to reenlist to go? No, but if I wanted, if I chose to change my MOS to yeah. 03XX. Um, and go to the follow-on pipeline, yeah. then I was yeah. committed to five years. Right. So after assessment selection, I ended up getting selected. Um, and then I had the option to lap move, right? So signed all the paperwork. I had the MOS 03XX. And if I didn't make it through the pipeline, I would just be put into some other 03 MOS um, for five years. So mm. uh, the pipeline from RSOC was nine months um, we did everything from FID, foreign internal defense, CQB, boats, all that stuff. Um, there's no specialty, right? Like like an SF where you have a weapons guy and a medic, and there right. there's 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 not hard specialties, right? There's cross training. Uh, if correct, I'm correct. Yeah. Yeah. So everybody that graduates the pipeline is a critical skills operator O three seventy two. That's for enlisted or O three seventy. Um, which is the officer. So we're, we're all in it, in it together. The officers do like one month afterwards, which is all planning and all this other mm -hmm. stuff. Um, but we're all in there together. It's all pretty informal. We're all teammates and we get put on four separate teams. We have to operate as a team. Um, and then you rotate responsibilities as far as like being the team chief or like team sergeant for you. And then um, the team leader or the officer on the team. And then, um, so you're continuously monitored and um, graded and everything else. You have peer evaluations and everything else and testing and all these things. So, Is there a big attrition rate for the pipeline? Yeah, so I think we went to selection with assessment and selection. Our class was, I think, 190 or something like that. And 42 were selected. Mm -hmm. And then that 42 and what other other numbers from other assessment selections would go to ITC individual training course to become an operator. And that's a nine month pipeline. And we started with, I think 209 or 210 and we graduated like 47. Mm. So pretty high attrition rate. And then you have some rollbacks that are plus up the, the class if they got injured or something and yeah. they were offered to stay. Um, and those kinds of things. But 
it's definitely dog eat dog because if you don't build that rapport with your team over time and then you have some new guy that got rolled back come in, he, he's got to prove himself, right? Or else he's he's going to be pushed out as well. He'll get so, peered, yeah. Yeah, so... Do they heavily rely on peers? I think so. Um, I later on as an operator went back to assessment selection as an instructor, mm. um, but I wasn't an instructor for the pipeline. Mm. If I'd stayed in, that's probably where I'd be at right now um, mm -hmm. as far as seniority goes, but... But yeah, peer evals, I think, was weighed pretty heavily because you have spotlight rangers, right, that are only on their A game when the instructors are around yeah. and stuff like that. So, um, mm -hmm. but I think it's a good model. It, it worked and product's pretty good. Um, Did you find that when you graduated after nine months, you were ready to go do that job? Yeah. Because you can't, you can't cover everything, right? I yeah. mean, it, the, the freaking pipeline to be three years long or, or longer, right? So part of the criticism for um, like the SF pipeline that are continually changing it, well, Jesus Christ, but um, is there's not enough shooting, there's not enough CQB, there's not enough of these critical combat fighting skills in yeah. there because they rely on your team to do that when you get there. Did you find that? No, so we graduated pipeline as a level one breacher, CQB level one, um, all these things. So you are a ref you are pretty much a finished product mm -hmm. and then you can go on to uh you know cqb leaders and become the subject matter expert for your team to refine your sops and things or master breacher which i went to so mm -hmm. you, then you just build upon that foundation but the finished product of 0372 should be proficient in you know watercrafts land navigation ambush um, patrolling, machine guns, um, even basic call to fire, all, all these things. So, mm -hmm. um, But then the complexi complexity comes where you have enablers, and enablers are, are call them SOCs, um, special operations. I should know this, but... Um, Make it up. So, yeah, <laughs> dude. So then these guys are regular Marines that come over to our support battalions mm -hmm. that are our comm guy or our dog handler mm. or our JTAC or our logistics dude. And they will embed with the team and then go on deployment. So they Is never there went... a selection for them? They're working on it. So okay. yeah, that's, you that's see, something that's a, that we have run into because that's now the, the team is responsible for spinning yeah, them up, right? Yes, yeah. Um, and, and the same in SF, right? You have a 12-man ODA and it, it's almost three to one in SF. You have three support guys for every green yeah. array. And you're taking these kids out on missions because you need drivers, you need gunners. So there's a spin up. You have to train them. Some of them are awesome and some yeah. of them just don't have the right mentality to be in a really dangerous place yeah. on a gun when with very little training. So uh, people like CAG do a selection for, for their their support people and they do extensive training because they know they'll be they'll be in the deep part with the with the guys. Yeah. But I, I you know I d I don't know what the the right answer is there because I, know. I think that the the team guys, when I say team guys like um now we have a device, right? We have our Raider pin, which was a hard thing for a long time mm -hmm. because uh, we have first sergeants and sergeant majors and all these people that come into the battalion that um, on the regular Marine Corps construct that aren't operators, right? Mm -hmm. They don't understand the culture. They don't understand what's required on the team level. They don't understand the um, what w the attributes that we were selected for that has this end product, which is enable, which is 
proficient enough and selected to go downrange and advise a general how to run his military, yeah. right? And, and to to operate in chaos, right? right. And to operate in the gray Alone zone. Alone and unafraid. Yes. Yeah. And, and think outside the box, which right. I, I imagine Marine Corps First Arms are not good at thinking well, outside I like, the no, box. No, I right? like to call it like MARSOC pipeline was like a reverse lobotomy. So like you yeah. went from like being, I mean, it's a boot camp's like a brainwashing phase, right? Like yeah. you, they break you down and then build you back up. And ITC is the same way, but then they they have to train you to think again on your feet. They have to give you responsibility and see how you do under stress and all these things. Um, and you have to figure out by yourself. You have to figure out a plan. You need to organize it. You need to get people to support it and you have to execute it and be successful. So it was a hard thing for a while, but that's something to still figure out as far as the pipeline. I had firsthand knowledge in training those enablers because my last position before I got out was the training chief at support battalion. So as an operator, I was responsible for developing all the training for these enablers to get them ready to go in bed with the team. Mm -hmm. And then the team would just spin them up on SOPs and then they go deploy together. So med, shooting, all these things, I had to make sure they were proficient in it before they would go. Um, but there wasn't a selection process. So some guys didn't have the grit for it or they wouldn't even show up for it and, you know, different things like that. Mm. Um, but it's, it's, still a, it's still a growing thing, I think. Um, we, gotta, we gotta learn the hard way to a degree because the Marine Corps pride of things. Um, they don't want to learn all the same lessons that you guys learned standing up SF in the first place necessarily. Mm. Um, and now we're trying to reconsolidate on the East Coast and things like that after we've spent billions of dollars building our compound on the West Coast. Mm. Um, so definitely some growing pains, but um, it was really good for me personally, um, developing me in a way that you know I could think for myself and I definitely relied heavily on my athletic background and being on a team and the team environment I thrive in, right? That's like, I like to be part of a team. I like to have dudes to lean on or bounce ideas off of or help out and all those things. So, so the, uh, with your transportation background, did that help you when you got in there for, for mobility type stuff? Yeah. So the cool thing I think about Marsoc, which is unique, is that you have to go spend your time in the regular Marine Corps first. Mm -hmm. There's no, there's no X-ray program. There's no uh, yep. Navy SEAL like you're a brand new dude and then you're E5 when you graduate. Yeah, I, you know? I agree. There's an X-ray program in SF, but special forces in the army has gotten so big and too big. It's so big that you have to feed the beast, right? Yeah. And a lot of now, a lot of uh, Green Berets come from the 18 X-ray program. They come straight off the street, right. and some of them are. Great kids man they, they come in a lot of them college degree their athletic background they're really motivated but they don't know how to be in the army and it takes them years to catch up now the counter argument is that when you get a kid at 18 or I think it's 20 or 21 is the, is the minimum age you have that kid in SF for 20 or 30 years right yeah. so he has the longevity to be the regiment sergeant major right whereas he burns five six seven years in the army for, and first he comes in he doesn't have as much longevity and you, you don't you're investing all this millions of dollars in training him right? and you don't have him for as long. But I, I do agree. I think you spend time in the regular forces. It makes you a better operator. You have a little more maturity. You, ha you have a, a, a relevance and you have a, a, 
uh, a background that you understand how the army works because as an SF guy, I had to work with the army all the time. Yeah. And uh, I, I had to know how to interact with the army. And I spent and six years. So yeah, to, I spent six years yeah. in, the, in the infantry, right? And I, I worked like counter sniper ops in Iraq and I go into army infantry units that own the battle space and I put a uniform on and go in and say, yes, sir, no, sir, how can I help, you know? Yeah. They'll do anything for you. Where you get these kids who've never been there, they'll walk in with long hair, unshaven, right. in PTs, chest pumped, up, yeah. chest pumped up and go, I'm here to fix shit. And they don't, they won't talk to you, you right. know? They don't understand that language. So I, I would agree with that. Yeah, it definitely helps with the by, with, and through kind of thing with the yeah. conventional Marine Corps. And our culminating ex exercises before deployment, Raven, even the company exercises, we utilize regular Marine Corps units as our um, as our makeshift PNF. So yeah, part of the force. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So we actually, you know, you're required to still go to the PX. You got to you still have to be a Marine, right? Yeah. And if you if you have that persona of being some hard operator and whatnot, I think it. It definitely gives you a bit of a handicap because doesn't um, help. Yeah, it doesn't help, man. You got to exactly. play the game. You do. You're still in the military. Right? And that's a hard piece, I think, about people where Marsoc is their first duty station because they're an enabler and they haven't gone oh, through that pipeline. Yeah, yeah. Because then the new thing is everybody's a raider, so everybody in the battalion is a raider. And I understand, like, you know, making everybody feel part of the team. But if you tell some. 19 year old kid that's never been in a regular Marine Corps that you're a Raider and he's got the hoodie and he thinks he's cool. Mm -hmm. and you're setting him up for failure. Right. He doesn't yeah. even, and because he's going to go back to a regular yes. unit. Yeah. Yeah. And now it gives us as an organization a bad, a bad yeah. rep, right? Yeah. You get that in SF. You get a kid whose first duty station is an SF. Yeah. And he's calling E7s by their first name. Right. And you go back to the infantry and E7s he, gone. He, he will crush yeah. you, man. Yeah. <laughs> so it's so funny. We, we don't do him any favors by letting them do that. Yeah. But yeah. It seems to be across the board. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there's some definitely some differences between SF and SEALs and whatnot. Um, I've got to work with with everybody downrange. So mm -hmm. there's good and bad in every unit. Right. There, every unit has its own its own share of, you know, awesome dudes and and and. Shit bags. There I was going to try and sugarcoat that. And I, yeah, like I talked when I did the, the podcast a couple of months ago or whenever I did with Sean Kirkwood, who was a, a mentor of mine. He said, What's the best thing about SF? The guys. What's the worst thing about SF? The, the guys. guys. Yeah. You know, and it's the same in every unit. It is. 100%. I mean, um, it, it, especially bigger units, right? And SF's a monsters yeah. organization. Yeah. I mean, we're just, we're, the, we're still the red. Uh, Redheaded stepchild of SOCOM, but you we're are. smaller. Yeah, when I work for a small, I'd be in meetings, yeah. and we're divvying up money and all that. And, and the, the 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 kid, I call them kids, but the the, the operators and uh, uh, Marsoc who were at the table had no idea what they're doing, yeah. and they have no say because they're such a small unit. Yeah, like when we're working programs for a new optic or gun or whatever it is. If we, everybody has to be on the same sheet, right? Yeah. But if SF disagrees and pulls out, the whole program will generally fail because yeah. we're 70% of it. Yeah, we really are, right? Yeah. So um, everybody's fighting for scraps for money and, and Marsuck are just well, happy last, to be there. Yeah, we're the last yeah. people. I mean, we just got multicam cries. Like we were still doing all the woodland stuff and that's yeah. kind of what made us different, but yeah. we don't even have enough to go around a battalion right now. You know, yeah. like not everybody gets the gear. Yeah. As if only if you're in a shoot to go on deployment, it's pretty crazy. It is. How long have you been out? Um, 
It'd be a year in December. Had they, from when you started until you left, had the attitude in the Marine Corps changed towards MARSOC or was it getting better? I think it, I think it is. I think, yeah. I think for a little while we had identity crisis and then I think the device to a degree fixed that because now you know who's an 0372 or 0370 legitimate and um, that has some weight. So instead of having... Um, a sergeant major who comes from a totally different background speaking on behalf of MARSOC in a SOCOM meeting where mm -hmm. the, the the chief SEAL has 30 years of experience, the SF sergeant major has you know 26 years of experience, and then we have some Marine Corps sergeant major who doesn't know anything about SOCOM making yeah. decisions for the organization based off of things he was told mm -hmm. not, that he experienced. So I think we're slowly getting people from the very beginning um, of going through the pipeline and then developing them over time into the right spots to yeah. affect change. I was in, for the last time I was in Afghanistan was 2014. Mm -hmm. I was working in the Ops Center. And, you know, that, that's the big... Uh, Operation center with the with the stared seating and the big screens, it's like the soda all the yeah, all yep. the drone strikes and all the missions and all that kind of thing. Um, but Marsoc were doing a great job. They they were very very, um, they got it right. Whereas I've worked with other units, uh, SEALs mostly that just didn't get it right. You, you need to enable your partner force. You need yeah. to force them to make decisions because you're working yourself out of a job, right? So they were very good at um, even on in gunfights turning to the partner force and saying, "All right, PL, what are you going to do now?" You know what I mean? Yeah. And enabling them to make decisions and get the job done. So I remember there was a very good. Uh, kind of people were very impressed with how they handle things right on right. the ground so it, it's 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 a shock to the system for a guy who grew up in the Marine Corps to be now working with an Afghan partner force and it, it's it a shock to the system to anybody who spent their time yeah. in the military right because it, it uh, but it's funny I, I, I just think it's funny because that was a sole SF mission before 9-11 yeah. and everybody's doing it right well, it's, that's it's where the work is every year a drug deal to try to for Marsoc and everybody else to try to get whatever mission set right yes um, yeah you've got to adapt you've got to adapt and you got to Marsoc only really gets the missions from you guys if you don't want it anymore yeah so. yeah yeah but then you go crush it and then yeah. you, you know you, you build your name and, and you get better and better and, and um, yeah that's interesting so did you deploy at Marsoc at all yep so I went to Somalia and then I went to Iraq um, those are my two um, okay typically the, the cycle is about a year and then Marsoc is good about once dudes are at a certain phase, they rotate them to instructor billets to give them. Nobody wants a to reset. go, but no, it's so important. It's yeah. so important to cycle that combat experience back into the schoolhouse. Right. It really is. So I should have had three. Um, our, our first workup, we did a whole workup for Somalia, and then it conditions weren't set. It came down that um, we weren't ready to send an MSOP, Marine Special Operations Team, to Somalia because. Um, things were too dangerous or whatever else. And obviously we were all like, that's why we want to go there, yeah, right? Yeah, um, well, so I, we I think we talked about this before. Were you in Kismayo? Um, no, we were in Baladogle. Okay, inland? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, okay. It was just um, west, I guess southwest of Mogadishu. Okay, can you talk about what you were doing there? Um, we had a PNF there. We're co-located with um, a SEAL team and we were just 
doing training by with and through stuff. Okay. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure the sensitivity of what that Yeah, yeah, was. you don't have to get into the details. <laughs> yeah. But um at the time we were I think we were the second team to be there from Marsoc. Yeah. Um so we were still the, we're alone, unafraid on the ground, and able to affect change to a degree, and go hunt dudes. And um, mm-hmm. actually, a lot of people, it, it's so funny, but and, and a lot of people don't realize how big Africa is, you oh, know. No. <laughs> so I, I assume, like I know, man, I'm not gonna say it, but I know where your QRF came from. Yeah, and it was a, it was a bit of a hop, skip, and jump to get to you, but it, it not as bad as if you were in some of the more Central African nations right. or, or because they're, they're just humongous distances. Yeah, yeah. and our air and um, medevac came from Djibouti. That's what is, I was thinking, yeah. It was freaking far. Yeah. So our, our golden hour window wasn't there. No, so, no. You know, that put certain restrictions on, on what we were able to do um, as well. But at the time, you know, we got, to, we got to kind of do what we wanted to do. So we had our own planning cycle our approval came from SOC 40 East Africa. It, it was it was a good time to be there and actually have the freedom of movement to develop it and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Now they have, you know, a command element there. And I think that's that's part of the growing pains of MARSOC as well, right? Um, the, the construct right now is if you go to MARSOC as an officer, you go through the pipeline, become a special operations officer, um, 0370, then you typically have a deployment with a team as a team leader and then maybe two if you're lucky and then you're going back to battalion to become a major and then you're in some opso position and you never really get to deploy again yeah so that sets the conditions for those dudes and i mean rightly so you spend a year of your life becoming an operator right um and you all you want to do is go down range and do your job those guys you know try to get to the point where they can go downrange in another capacity, which is a C2 element. And and now you've got a whole nother layer of approval that you have to go through and micromanagement and everything mm-hmm. else. It's really not letting those dudes that are supposed to be able to operate on the ground by themselves do their job. It's very frustrating. Right. It really is, yeah. So I think Warsaw's still got a lot of growing to do. They got a lot of problems to solve and um, the potential is definitely there. I mean, the team guys that I know, you know, work their work their asses off. Um, they're good at their jobs. Their the seniority that's moving up is is quality. Um, we're always fighting the man. I think as far as numbers goes, because we're supposed to grow X amount, and mm-hmm. um, you know, quality is degraded to a degree of, of the selection process, but. I mean, you can't, you cannot deny the selection process because typically those dudes that are in the red, they get pushed through anyway because the numbers will highlight themselves later. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think it really works. And we saw that when I was cadre for selection. Um, so. Do you have a quota? Not an official one? Yes. Yeah, so we didn't have yeah. one, but obviously the schoolhouse did. Yeah. Uh, as far as what we're trying to make and the set and the other. I saw it in SF too. Yeah. And I, and I worked, you know, small unit tactics and, and, and I, I, I've seen. Yeah, you know, and I hate to go down this road, but like I've seen guys quit on the obstacle course, right? Yeah, and then go back and get talked to by officers, and then be allowed to come back to training. And you can, you can, you can take anything. Yeah, you can't, can't take a quitter because no. a quitter's a liability, man. And and that that really burned my ass and really pissed me off when, yeah. when I saw that happen personally. You know, so. I remember rolling my ankle during plyo metrics in the morning to warm up before you do the workout. You know, 5 a.m., some idiot put the the little bunny hop hurdles right on a hole. So I was the first one to go through, rolled yeah. my ankle, popped it, class three, whatever. Um, 
I couldn't put weight on it. And we had a fin in three days, mm-hmm. like our first 2K fin of Amphib. So uh, that was the first time that you come out of the course as like a student and an instructor's talking to you as like you. And it's, it's freaking weird because you want to go back with your family, right? And because um, you're suffering with those dudes every single day. And um, end up driving down to the class, getting dropped off in my class, and I was back in the mix of things. And then um, for, for two days, I was icing my foot in my room at night trying to like and duct taping it up mm-hmm. for swelling and my rack mate would carry me to and from chow mm-hmm. whereas we're supposed to switch off just to help me get that recovered and then i did my first 2k fin with my ankle like du- duct tape so mm-hmm. um, yeah to quit is just not an option shouldn't be an right? option like, shouldn't be yeah, yeah ever um so you go to Somalia, you go to iraq um how many years did you spend in Marsoc total? Um, so I did five on my initial contract and then I re-enlisted. I had some change in between and then I finished up with two. So just just short of eight. What was the trigger? To, so how many years in the Marine Corps total? Uh, just short of 12. 12. So that's a very, very pivotal point, right? Because yeah. a lot of people do 12. They're like, man, <laughs> I might as well suck it up for eight more and get a pension. So what, what was the... the the trigger, if there was such a thing, that you were like, I'm done, I, I, I gotta leave. Yeah, I mean. Was it um, a lot of things or was it one particular thing? It's probably a combination of a lot of things. I think uh, I joined a little later, you know, I'm 33 now. Um, and I think Marsoc's exactly what I wanted to get to, right? I wanted to, I wanted to do the cool stuff, I wanted to do breaching, I wanted mm-hmm. to do CQB, I wanted to, you know, help people out with sniper rifles and do all this cool stuff and go down range, do my job and train militaries and it's rewarding. And at the team level, you're with you're with your twins, right? You all got selected. You're all very similar. You're all alpha male type. You all work out together. Um, it's all really good. But I think overall, for me at least, um, the growing pains were affecting me to a degree where, um, of the organization as a whole, right? Um, the deployments in the political climate were so limited on what we could do to affect change. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second or third order effects of those decisions were getting our dudes hurt. Yep. Um, where those, that's where those frustrations lied, right? Passing up on a drone strike on a guy that you know is bad, um, and then him coming back to, you know, hit hit your guys later. It's just like, what are, what are we doing right now? Yeah, um, politics, man. Yeah, yeah. And um, so I think the politics got me a little bit. But additionally, um, I'm not I'm not terribly great at balance, and I'll be the first to admit it. And I watched dudes on my teams, kids growing up in front of them, and we're gone. You know, we're not home. Mm-hmm. And even when we are home, not on deployment, we're gone training for a month at a time, right? Yep. JTAC school was a month. Um, sniper school was a month. All, all these things, even when you are home, our construct from Marsoc, at least, and I know it's probably the same for you, is um, the workups are very demanding. So when you are home, you're home, but you're gone a lot. And um, that wasn't really an environment that... I wanted to have a family in. Um, 
my first marriage, typical SOCOM dude, didn't really work out. Um, that was probably a failure on my behalf, um, just because I wasn't home. I wasn't invested. It's very hard on families. It it's very hard on marriages. I, I, yeah. Especially, you know, when when there's a couple of wars going on. They used to, when I went through the Q course, it's different now. They, used, they said there was six phases of the Q course, and phase seven was divorce. You know what I mean? That's they used to say. Um, but it is very I think it's worse for you guys, too. I think every SF dude I know or met downrange, they're like, what What number are you on? I you know? know, right? Like, oh, yeah. number three. I was at a sniper two. course in Fort Benning years ago and there was four of us from SF there and we were in a restaurant at night and we were uh, eating dinner or whatever and all the privates were out on a like a three day pass from basic training yeah. and they were everywhere and they were in uniform and I was super young and there was a table across from us and uh, the, the kid gets up and he goes down on one knee and pulls out the ring and, and oh, um, he 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 uh, proposes to his girlfriend, right? And everybody's clapping and everything. And then when it was all over, one of the guys that was with me shouted, hey kid, you see us four? We have nine marriages between us. Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah. Completely burst that kid's bubble. Yeah, yeah. probably no one thought about that some. It is very difficult. It, it yeah. is, and, and, and um, it, it, it's hard to hold that together. It really is. And it is hard on kids. Yeah. It, it and you know how it is, down, yeah, down do. range you cannot be distracted. You know? Yeah, and, and it, yeah. You'll become mm -hmm. a risk to force. And yeah. um, additionally, I had an injury in Somalia um, where I messed up my back pretty severely to the point where in Iraq, um, I was on in the process of being medically separated and I, I didn't want to go that route anymore. I just, I was, I was probably naive. I took mm -hmm. myself off of all the medical screening stuff. And I was like, I'm done with this. I'm done with the doctors. I'm done with getting injections in my spine. And I, I wanted to deploy again. I still had that scratched the itch, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so I went to Iraq on a SOTIF, um, and I had the opportunity to go plus up teams for missions and do some stuff there. Um, but after wearing plates all day, my, my I couldn't feel my legs. Like I knew things were up uh, with my body. So that other piece to it was I didn't want to be a risk to force, right? Mm -hmm. I, didn't, I didn't want to go down on a mission and then be a liability for the dudes or... Or whatever else. So there's a little bit of, of that. There's a little bit of growing pains in an organization. And there was a little bit of wanting to be present for a family because I'm not the guy that can balance the two. And I didn't want to be downrange thinking about home when I need to be present. It's very difficult. Moment. So uh, when I did Mike Ritland's podcast, he asked me about this. And do you remember... Um Remember the movie we were we were uh, soldiers once and young Mel Gibson Vietnam yep. you know so in that movie the, the the younger guy says to Mel Gibson how do you you know balance being a soldier and being a dad right and Mel Gibson says I I like to believe that being good at one makes me good at the other, right? Which is no. absolutely not true, right? <laughs> it it's sense. an allocation of resources, yeah. right? You're either crushing your job and neglecting your family yeah. or you're helping and being there as a dad and you're not doing, in a special operations world, I've never seen anybody who balanced the two perfectly right. because they're just, you don't have the resources to allocate evenly, yeah. right? And I feel like the way we are selected, mm -hmm. it, our personality type, we ha we will sacrifice everything yeah. to 
be successful. Right? I, I, I've said it before, like I didn't strike a good balance either, right? Yeah. But now I'm not in the military and I'm still work obsessed, yeah. right? I, I never stop, and you're the same. I, I never stop focusing on work. I'm on the computer all the time. I'm, right. I'm trying every waking minute to, I, I, and, and I would try to control it, but I know it's a futile act. I, I, I just, it's the way, it's in my DNA. Yeah. And it's, it's in a lot of our DNAs, yeah, yeah. yeah. So when I got um, out, I went back, I got, went back to school at the U trying to go to PA school because med was something that I really enjoyed at my time on the teams mm -hmm. um, doing, helping out our SARCs and stuff like that. You went to the, the you, you guys don't go to the full 18 Delta course, but you went to a significant portion of medical yeah, training, so right? Through yeah. the pipeline as an operator, you become very proficient at March, um, which is our algorithm we teach in mm -hmm. Fieldcraft. But... Um, and you do live tissue, you do all this really good medical training, and then you replicate that again and progress on it through the pipeline. But then I went to a specialty school, yeah. um, which was um, the Austere Medics course, SOFAC at Bragg, um, where we learned a whole nother level, got EMT basic, all these things. And that interests me, right? Like how it's the body so works. It's so yeah. And I've always been a firm believer that medicine is more important than being able to shoot a gun. It really is. It really is. And and I, I never really thought that way on a team. Yeah. I want to be a door kicker and, and, and uh, you know, we had 18 Deltas and we had medics that, that did, and we're all trained in medicine, right? And right. patching holes and, and putting in IVs and stuff like that. But it was never a focus of mine. Yeah. But it really is. It's super important. You're so much more likely to need that. Oh, I know. As a civilian and than gunfighting skills. Yeah, I mean, first thing you're going to, first good medicine is, um, you know, fire superiority. But yeah. if you don't know what to do after that, then. Yeah you're risking your, your buddy's lives. Mm -hmm. you know? um, so med was something I really liked. So I got out and went to the University of Utah uh, to try to go to PA school and do the prereqs for that. Um, but just like you said, I drowned myself in it because I wanted to be good. I wanted mm -hmm. to be successful. I was in my room for 10 hours a day after a full day of classes studying. And time has a time changes its meaning, I think, for, for guys like us. Um, after going downrange and um, losing friends and everything else. And you, you spoke about it earlier, you know, when you graduate the pipeline, you know, are, are you ready to deploy? And um, a guy I went through the pipeline with, Charles Strong, died a couple of months after we graduated in Afghanistan um, with um, friendly fire from Partner Nation Force. So, like, time has a, has a, has a meaning differently now for me. And what people, I think, refuse to really... Um, acknowledge is it's continuously ticking, right? Tomorrow's not promised. And it's not just a war thing, right? I think war gives us a very firsthand glimpse at it, but um, you could die in a car accident tomorrow, yeah. right? What, what have you done today? What are you doing tomorrow? And you, what are you spending your time doing? Is it of value? You know, is it for the better good? And um, I think that's probably what touches me so much now with all this craziness that's going on, right? You know, I was a kid coming to America, believing in the American dream, that work, work, hard work, I could be whatever I want to be. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it sounds cheesy, but like, no, it's I true. Hundred percent believe yeah. that, you know, mm -hmm. and it still is. It still is true. It is. It is. But there's a there's a much bigger portion of the population than I thought there would be mm -hmm. that don't believe that. Right. They, they believe America is a, is a racist country that, you know, benefits out. the rich and it's just not I true, know. man. It's, but I think that that goes hand in hand. Additionally, the two things I am most thankful for from the military is my perspective and my understanding of time. Mm -hmm. And I think perspective 
leads to better understanding of your circumstance because mm -hmm. me and you have been to some shit places in the world where, you know, when I was in Somalia, I would take extra rice out. Our team would take extra rice out to give it to these villages that we, you know, bought with the op fund for food and whatnot. Yeah. And um, it would be gone the next day, you know, like shitheads would come in and take it from these little kids and yeah. beat them up and whatever. Yeah. And, it, and it's like, and that's, that's real world. And yep. people are complaining, and Mike said it pretty well, people are complaining on $1,500 cell phones yeah. about the way they live. Are you kidding mm -hmm. me? $1,500? Yeah. There's no idea. Do you know what that would do to one family, you yeah. know, to, to a village? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And racism that I saw in the Philippines yeah. um, was still to a level that I don't think anybody living understands in America yeah. anymore. You know? They don't. They and, don't. Um, so, yeah, I think... Yeah perspective, worldly perspective goes a long way. And I think, I think, um, a lot of people over here don't ever leave their hometown. You know, America itself has so much to offer as a nation. I mean, we got every walk of life. We're culturally diverse. We have, um, you know, different geographical constructs of mountains and beaches and deserts and everything that you could want in a, in a country. And, um, yet we still, it's not good enough, right? Yeah. Um, or we complain or we want a handout. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, the biggest thing that, you know, the military gave me is is the appreciation of time. And that's also why I got out too, right? And people are like, well, dude, if you just do six more years, you know, you, you could get retirement or, or whatever else, or four more years, you, you could even get partial retirement. And to me, I was like, do you know what I could do in four years? Yeah. You know, you know what I could be working towards. You know, I could work on in four years. I could have a I could have a family. I could be transitioned into a new job by 35. I could time for me is is um is super valuable. And mm. you know, proper utilization of that time for for a better good or to help others or whatever else. So um yeah, I don't know where we're going with that. But. Yeah, I mean I I um I think the military is good, especially for young guy, young mm -hmm. people. And uh, but I would never fault anybody for getting out. I, I, I'm a guy who stayed too long. Honestly, I stayed 24 years because I was probably institutionalized because I've been in the military my whole life. Yeah. But I got to the point where I was very frustrated with it, and I didn't leave on bad terms by any means. But right. I got to the point where I was just like, I wanted out so bad near the end. And I was working, you know, the staff job, and I was dealing with all the BS that that there. But I should have got out of 20. I actually thought about getting out when Mike got out and went to GRS. I was thinking about getting out and going to GRS, but. I mean, you can't live in regrets, right? right. The military is very good to me. SOCOM, special operations, very good to me. And um, I, I, I don't have regrets, but yeah. I, I do I think, think it's I a growing point as a man of, of knowing, <laughs> knowing when you're not growing anymore and yeah. knowing when positivity turns to negativity. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, do you ever miss it? I do. I yeah. miss the dudes. Yeah. I, for sure. I miss, I miss the team life. If you ask me right now if if I could go back on deployment with the group from 2016 to wherever, like it'd be hard to pass up. But I got a family now; I got different priorities. Yeah. Um, but I'm very thankful for the opportunity of Fieldcraft because it's another team. It you is, know? and it's yeah. we're we're all very like minded. We have similar values. Mm -hmm. um, we're not we're not politically motivated, but we are patriotic Americans that love our country, right? Yeah. And um, the opportunities that it presents. If, if you want to work for it. And um, and I think we get to still affect change, which is really why I went to Marsock in the first place. Right? Mm -hmm. I, wanted, I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to do a job where it would affect somebody positively. I read a book before Marsock called The Heart and the Fist. And it was about um, 
I think he was a lawyer, um, and then he went to Navy SEALs because he realized that, no, he's a, sorry, he's a humanitarian. And he realized that no matter how much good you try to do as a humanitarian, you can only affect so much. So he went to be a Navy SEAL so that he could directly yeah. affect it. And um, that was kind of my motivation to go to Marsoc to try to be a direct influence of change. Mm-hmm. I think Fieldcraft as a company has that propensity to directly affect change in people's lives. And honestly, I think, you know, the country needs things like that right yeah. now, right? And, it needs um, leadership. It needs uh, yeah. motivation. It needs... Um, yeah, yeah, we're we're in a we're in a pretty rough place right now as yeah. a country, but I, I'm hoping it gets better. Um, yeah, so I mean, you're, you're definitely uh, you've come on board now. You've been on board about eight months, six, eight months, something like that. Things like three. No way. Yeah, <laughs> but it's been eight months of work in yeah. three months, right? Uh, yeah. we, we keep you pretty busy, so you're leading up the mobility piece. So me and you kind of ran into each other inadvertently, right? And. Um, you know, you have, you're a Marsoc guy and you have a background and, and you have a transportation background and you have a lot of mobility experience. So we pulled you in to head the mobility piece, which we've we've kind of worked out a little bit in the last year. And I've only been here a year, but um, not not real big, like kind of little, you know, dipped our toe in it, bug out courses and vehicles, a little bit of overland training and stuff like that. So we've kind of pushed that to you to manage people in that realm. And it's it's got massive potential, right? So we talked earlier on overland training, defensive driving, um, horses, motorcycles, snowmobiles. Um, it's a little daunting, right? It, it, is. it, it is right, and and we've kind of scaled back. Me and you sat down and talked, and we we scaled back our training piece for the first quarter of of twenty twenty one, so we could kind of concentrate on online training on on locals. Um, content and then building out the team and, and winner's not great for that type of training anyway, but we're, we're kind of learning as we go. We're trying to figure out where this thing goes, right? Right. Um, but it does have a lot of potential. And then, you know, your, your special operations background, your medical background, medical and survival, and always gets kind of tied into the, the whole vehicle bug out kind of piece, right? It, it get those two things get tied into everything we do. Yeah, and I think so, the part that I'm excited about for mobility is everybody has everybody has a mobility platform, right? You yeah. have a car, yeah. whether that be a Honda Civic, a Subaru, a SUV or a truck or whatever, or you don't have a car, you got a motorcycle, mm-hmm. or you don't have a motorcycle, you got a bicycle, yeah. or you live in a country, you have a horse, or mm-hmm. whatever whatever platform is legs. your... Yeah, <laughs> legs, that's a real one. Land navigation, yeah. 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 Um, whatever platform is your cup of tea, like, and then using that applicably... Um, to better prepare yourself, right? Where, where, where do you, and, and can I, me and you are kind of trying to hash this thing out as we go, right, yeah. and learn it. Where would you like to see it in, when we sit down this time next year, right, or at the end of this year, um, the end of 2021, where, where would you like to see Fieldcraft Mobility be? So I, I see it as, um, I think our bread and butter is teaching, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't remember who told me it, but a special operator or SF dude, we really are a heavily financed and invested teacher. Mm. We go down range range and we teach dudes how to do their job, really, Mm. you know, and then we assist them in doing their job and then we wean them off of us so that they can do it themselves, right? So I think a teaching standpoint as a company, 
where I would like it to go is to build out locals online to a degree where the, the training is available for the masses. And the more people we can reach, the, the more of a change we can, you know, or impact we can influence um, for the masses. And I think I think the e-learning is super beneficial. And it's, it's similar to like Marine Online. I don't know if you guys have the Army. But we have like the same, the, yeah, yeah. Yeah, same thing. Yeah. Um, so if we can provide that to the masses, and then if people want to... Still and still provide the in-person training so that the community is better prepared. And I, w- I would like to get to the point where we can do reviews so then we just get people the information that they need to build out their rig however it works for them. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's I'm still a believer in brilliance and the basics, right? If, if you can have your, your platform and get the training you need to be proficient in it, as far as driving off road or recovering another vehicle or having stuff in it in case of an emergency, if you have a rollover or if you come up on an accident, because I just, I think if in a year we can have the information out to make our community a force multiplier with their vehicle and be proficient in it, I'd be pretty satisfied with that trajectory. Yeah. And I I think through e-learning and still offering some in-person learning um, to continue to build that. And it's in the same construct as as an operator, right? You go and you become brilliant in the basics. So you know how to put it in four-wheel drive. You know how to implement it in a different array of terrain or situations. And then we can build on those proficiencies with survival, with med. And that's what's cool about a mobility platform is it's it's a one-stop shop, right? So in your vehicle, you can have a seat back panel with medical gear, which you can go into another class on locals or in-person training and be proficient in using that medical gear. So that if you are in a worst case scenario with your family or you come up on an accident, you can be of help. Yeah, right. you can help others. That's so, a huge one. You yeah. can recover other people and, exactly. and we can help each other out as Americans. Yeah. Um, the e-learning piece is going to be big for us in 2021. We've already started uh, locals.com. Um, there, there's free content and then there's $10 window for premium content. We will, we will blow people away with what we're going to put on there. It's going to be really, really cool. Yeah. And, um, and I think it was talk about us doing some live stuff on Zoom too, right? Yeah. So then we yeah. can actually have interaction with everybody and help them find tune their processes. Yeah, there's a lot of people that can't travel yep. to where we run courses, right? They're, they're just, you know, you come into uh, Utah, let's say we are, and, and you know, a $500 cost course costs two grand because you got to fly, you got to rent a car, you got to right. go to a hotel. So the e-learning piece, you can play it, you can pause it, you can you can work on what you did and go back to it again and again and again. Yeah. And, and what is pick it, it like 10 bucks a month and yep. you, you get to access yep. everything? Yeah. Your sniper training, yep. it, me running my mouth about a, a whatever truck. There's so much material yeah, there. Really, and we have a great team. So uh, yeah, really excited about that in the future and, and uh, it, it's going to be badass. All right, brother, let's uh, welcome aboard Philcraft oh, Survival. Thanks. You're going to be busier than you were in the Marine Corps. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I think guys like us like to be busy, right? Um, and uh, we like to be able to I mean, honestly, you can take this wherever you think it needs to go. Yeah. And uh, we, we'll, we'll figure it out together. So um, welcome aboard, man. I appreciate survival. it. So, uh, I'm sure we'll yeah. be back on here talking about We will. Else later. We absolutely will. Um, if you have a question for, for Phil, mobility at philcroftsarrival.com. Yep, that's my email um, now. <laughs> You can hit him up on Instagram. What's your Instagram? Uh, J.W.Phillips. Yep. 
Um, and then you you pretty much run the mobility, Fieldcraft Mobility IG page and yep. post on there as well. So um, we have a lot of stuff going on on, on uh, social media when we're not suppressed. <laughs> and uh, but uh, yeah, the locals thing's going to be big. It so is. hey, appreciate you coming cool. on. Cool. Thanks. Man. All right. Okay, that's it. Uh, until the next time, stay alert, stay alive.